the passage that we're going to be in in Mark today. Uh, just really looking forward to, to spending some time in it. It's a, it's a pivotal passage in the Gospel of Mark. We've spent since February of last year with a couple of breaks going through Mark verse by verse, and I'm, I'm glad that we've gotten to this point. This is, this is all sorts of good news that we're going to hear this morning. Uh, we've seen Jesus so far show certainly that he has all sorts of authority and he's using his authority to do all sorts of things he's teaching and he's healing and he's performing miracle after miracle it's been very clear to us as we've been going through the gospel of mark that jesus has all sorts of authority the crowds love him they're flocking to him to be healed and to listen to him teach the Pharisees and Herod are trying to destroy him and the disciples they don't quite get it all but they're trying to follow him Right, So we've seen all these different reactions to Jesus, but we haven't seen any of the people in Mark yet really get who Jesus is. Mark gave it away right at the beginning to us who are reading it, right? Mark chapter 1, verse 1, Mark said this, he said, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Okay, So right up at, at the beginning, we know that this gospel is going to be about telling us who Jesus is and what his work was. And Mark tells us right away, but we haven't seen the people in the Gospel of Mark get this yet. Mark says that Jesus is the Christ and He is the Son of God. But we've got to be wondering as we go through this Gospel, when is everybody else going to get this? We're on this side of the cross. We've, we've had God's Word, and so we understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But we've got to wonder, when is everybody else going to get it? Last week we were kind of left hanging uh, with the disciples. I'll get to that in a moment. But, but what, remember last week, we saw that the disciples at best kind of had partial sight. They weren't totally blind like the Pharisees, but they had partial sight at best. And there's times when you can get away with partial sight, right? Like if you get up in the middle of the night, that's my dad, by the way. I'll tell you about him in just a second. If you get up in the middle of the night, uh, and uh, I wear glasses and contacts, well, not both at the same time. Uh, my eyes aren't that bad. Usually just one or the other. Um, and if I get up in the middle of the night and have to go somewhere, I can usually get around without using my glasses, right? Because like, partial sight will get me around where I need to go, but I'm never going to get behind the wheel of a car and try to drive with partial sight because that can be dangerous. So that's a picture of my dad up there. My dad's eyes are pretty bad. Um, before they started, had that technology where they could make things thinner, I mean, his glasses were thick. And, uh, and my dad, uh, you can see in there that he was in the Army. He enlisted himself before being drafted during uh, Vietnam. And he never saw combat. He served in the United States here during the war. But one time when he was home on leave, he had to go to his eye doctor back home and get his Army-issued glasses adjusted because they weren't fitting very well and so he went to get them adjusted and his eye doctor said to him you know Phil uh, your your eyesight's bad enough that if you would have wanted to get out of service to the military I could have just told them how bad your eyesight was and you could have been out partial sight you see in the military is not necessarily a good thing having partial sight is dangerous to yourself and to the people that are serving around you So we know that sometimes maybe you can get away with partial sight, but in a lot of cases, in a lot of situations, partial sight is just not good enough. 
And so last week, we ended the, this, this uh, passage in Mark 8. We got through verse 21 last week. We find out that these disciples on this road trip with Jesus were kind of missing the point of about everything that Jesus was trying to teach them. And their concern was that they didn't have enough bread for the trip. And so Jesus asks them a series of questions. And the last question in that series, when we find out that the disciples knew some things, there, there were some things that the disciples did understand about Jesus. They knew some facts about Jesus. But in the end, the last question that we were left hanging with in verse 21, and Jesus said to his disciples, Do you not yet understand? Don't you yet understand. I think Jesus is saying that with a longing for his disciples. Jesus wants to be known. He wants his disciples to know who he really is. He doesn't want them to only see partially. He wants them to see fully. And I think the same is true for us. Jesus doesn't want us to be a little bit in the dark about who he is. Jesus isn't trying to be secretive. Jesus wants us to know him for who he really is. And so, we're kind of wondering as we ended the passage last week, so are the disciples really going to get it? Or are their eyes going to be open to who Jesus actually is? When are they going to finally get it? Is it going to be now? That's what we come to as we open up Scripture for this week. We're going to be in Mark 8, verses 22 to 30. So you can turn there in your Bible. It'll be on the screen as well. And if you're able to, let's stand as we read God's Word. This is the Word of God, and here's what it says. Starting in verse 22, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up, and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. You can be seated. So who is Jesus? That's, that's the big question as we're coming at the whole Gospel of Mark. And we keep wondering, when are they going to get it? And I kind of just ruined it because we read the whole passage. But I'll get to that in a little bit. But first, it's kind of interesting that there's this account of this healing of a blind man. Kind of set right in the middle of this, right? And you might wonder, why, why does everything kind of get interrupted by this healing? We've seen an interesting healing before. In chapter 7, you remember, Jesus put the finger, his fingers into the ears of a blind man and then spit and touched the man's tongue as he healed him. And this one seems a bit strange too, but this one's even a little more strange because Jesus kind of heals this guy in two stages. That's the only time in the Gospels that we see Jesus heal in this way. And we've got to wonder, why is he doing that? Why? I mean, we certainly know that it can't be 
because Jesus doesn't have enough power to heal the first time. Like he tried, and it didn't totally take, so then he had to do it again. We know that's not the case. This is, this is the Jesus who can command demons to leave from a distance. This is the Jesus who fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. This is the Jesus who has healed countless people, right? We know for sure that it can't be that Jesus did it in two stages because he tried once and it didn't quite work, so he had to try it again. We know that can't be the case. Jesus can do whatever he wants to do. So there must have been some purpose for Jesus to heal the man in this way. So why? Why would Jesus heal a man in two stages? A man who was blind, why would he take him from blindness to partial sight and then to full sight? And why does Mark put it right here in his gospel? Well, most people would say, as they look at this, and they're looking at everything around it, they would use a big word and say that this passage about this healing of the blind man is the interpretive key to everything that lies around it. That this really happened, and it's placed here, and Jesus did this as kind of a living illustration of what he was going to do for his disciples. We've seen the blindness of the Pharisees. We've seen the partial sight of the disciples. And we're wondering now, will the disciples get full sight? Will they finally see Jesus for who He is? We wonder about that. And then in the middle of that, we get this story of a man who is blind, who is at least first partially healed, and then his sight is fully restored, so he sees clearly. So let's go ahead and look at this passage. Verse 22 said this, And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Now, Bethsaida, Jesus had spent some time in kind of the Gentile regions. Now he's getting back closer to home. Bethsaida is kind of on the northeast edge of Galilee. So now he's probably surrounded once again by mainly Jewish people again. And so he comes to a person with a need, which we've seen over and over again in the gospel. And this person is dependent on other people. He's got a disability, right? He he can't see. And so he needs other people to help him out and to bring him to Jesus. And so he's got some friends that do that for him, and they beg Jesus to touch him because they know that Jesus could do something for their blind friend. So they take him, and then verse 23 says this, And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? Well, What do you notice there? First thing you notice is that Jesus takes him away from the crowd. He takes him out of the village. We saw Jesus do this with the deaf man who had a speech impediment in chapter 7 too, remember? Probably thinking that this person with a disability all his life had probably been a spectacle. Other people just kind of staring at him as he went by. Maybe not really interacting with him, but just looking at him. Right? And Jesus, rather than doing this healing in a public way, actually took that man aside. Now he takes this man aside as well, and privately outside of the village is going to heal him. And he touches, in an interesting way again, he spit on his eyes, laid his hands on him, a very personal touch by Jesus. But then Jesus does something he never does in any other healing, in all the rest of the Gospels. He, he does something, and then he asks the person if it worked. Kind of interesting. Jesus has never done this before, and you'll never see him do it again. But Jesus does this with this man's eyes, and then he says to him, Do you see anything? Interesting question, isn't it, that Jesus would even ask if this worked. It kind of sounds like the disciple, the question that Jesus asked to the disciples in verse 18. Remember that look at verse 18? Jesus said to the disciples, Having eyes, do you not see? 
He's kind of asking them, don't you see? Do you see anything? He's asking this man here. Verse 24, you get an answer. And he looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Interesting description, isn't it? I mean, this guy would have understood a little bit of what people should look like, even though he was blind because he had probably touched people. You know, it's like he's touched their faces and knows that there's all these features. Like there's, there's this bumpy thing in the middle, right, and these flappy things on the side. and So he knows that's what people ought to look like. And he's probably touched a tree before and knows that that's just kind of a big trunk, kind of formless, right? And so his eyes are open to the point that he can say, well, I think I see people. But they actually just look like trees walking. It's like a big blurry stick walking around. My, my sight is only partial. I'm not seeing what I should be seeing, is what this guy is saying to Jesus. And so the big question we have is, is Jesus going to leave him there? Is Jesus going to say, you know what, partial sight is enough. That's fine. I mean, at least he's not blind anymore. I mean, if you had the choice between being blind or seeing kind of like people generally, but being kind of featureless, wouldn't you rather take that? So will Jesus just leave him here in his partial sight, his partial blindness? It's a good question to ask. Look at verse 25. We'll get the answer. Then Jesus laid his hands on this guy's eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. So Jesus was not content to leave this man with partial sight. That was better than where he was before, but Jesus wanted this man to see fully. And so he puts his hands on him again, and now the man sees everything clearly. He's got a blind man who's healed. In verse 26, because uh, Jesus wants things to be quiet because his time hasn't come yet, again says in verse 26, sends him to his home saying, don't even enter the village, okay? Don't go there. Um, People aren't ready to hear this yet. I've got some work to do. I want to just step back for a second and notice something that you may have missed as we go through the Gospel of Mark because we kind of zero in on each verse and each account. But one thing that you may have missed in the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus spends a lot of time ministering to people with disabilities. You notice that? We've got, we've got people disabled because they couldn't walk. And remember what his friends did? They came alongside him and they lowered him down through the roof. We, we've seen people that are disabled because they can't hear and because they can't speak well. Now we see a man disabled because he can't see. And we've seen time and time again Jesus focusing his ministry on people with disabilities. And, and, and other people growing in that way. His disciples are kind of just along for the ride, taking along. And part of their growth and understanding of who Jesus is comes because they're watching Jesus interact with these people with disabilities and minister to them. So we've seen this over and over. All these people had friends. We're so grateful for their friends who, who longed for the, peop- the people that they loved that had disabilities. They longed for them to, to experience the touch of Jesus. Want to hear some application of this? Mandy was up here talking about uh, a mission trip opportunity uh, for our church. Uh, that, that maybe in some of the short-term missions things that have gone on in the past, you've heard of our trips to Haiti for the last three summers, and you've kind of thought, well, for all sorts of different reasons, that just doesn't seem accessible to me. 
Uh, I can make an excuse as to why that's not going to work. And so I'll support them by praying for them and by maybe writing out a check or something like that. But our plan for this summer, the mission committee was just talking about ways that we could try and get more and more people in the church involved in short-term missions and in doing some kind of ministry that, like going to Haiti, you're going to be uncomfortable because of the language barrier and the heat. This time we're not going to really have as much heat, not really as much of a language barrier potentially. Um, that's, that's a potential for sure as well. But this time maybe just uncomfortable because it's not a situation that you've put yourself in many times. Uh, of spending time, hours, with one person who has a disability and seeking to minister to that person so that you might help them to experience the touch and the love of Jesus. That's what we're going to do. That's also something, by the way, that that can be done uh, here. And so this is going to be a way for us to kind of be trained and have our eyes open to ministry that we don't just have to do during a trip, but we can do that here as well. Some of you... um, might be thinking, like, even as Mandy was making that, you're like, great. Like I said, I'm glad they're doing that. Um, I am totally comfortable. If you want me to, like, build something, I will build you something. You want me to dig something, I will dig something. But, but I'm not very comfortable spending that much time with one person who has a disability. I'd be very uncomfortable doing something like I saw there. Like salsa dancing, I don't even do, I don't do salsa dancing, right? Like that would make me very uncomfortable. And I think not doing something because it's uncomfortable is a pretty poor excuse. If comfort was our goal, we just wouldn't do any short-term missions at all. We just, if comfort was our goal, instead of raising $20,000 to go to Haiti last year, we would have just taken $20,000 and replaced all these purple chairs with recliners. Like, hey, kick back. It's church time. Let's get comfy, church. Right? It's not about being comfortable. And you don't grow very much when you're comfortable. When you grow a lot in your life is when you're uncomfortable. So, so when you, you, you see an opportunity put before you, you say, oh, that would be a challenge and that would be uncomfortable. And instead of saying, so I'm not going to do it, we say, okay, God, because that will be a challenge and because that will be uncomfortable and because I'm not sure that I can do this, I'm going to go ahead and, and do this. So um, I think this one might be for you. I want you to consider that. Love these opportunities that we get to just see Jesus' compassion for people who for most of their life were probably less valued because of their disability. That people maybe looked the other way when they saw them coming or, or they had a hard time just really, really um, loving them because of their disability. And Jesus in his compassion will come to each of them and heal them. So uh, we're going to move on to verses 27 to 30. But we've seen already Jesus restoring sight to a blind man, and we still have the question probably in our heads. So is Jesus going to do this with the disciples, right? Is partial sight for the disciples, is that good enough? Or does Jesus want to take his disciples and move them from partial sight, where they maybe see people like trees walking, they see Jesus a little bit for who he is. Like, well, I see that he can do miracles and I see a bunch of other stuff. But are, is he going to take them? And is he going to move them from partial sight to a more full understanding of who he is? And so we come to verse 27. It says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Interesting place to go. This is about a 25-mile walk 
north of Bethsaida. Okay, so now kind of again leaving the region where you'd have a lot of Jewish people and going to a region um, that was really known for its worship of all sorts of different pagan gods. And so they actually had a a sanctuary there for the worship of the pagan god named Pan, who was half goat, half man. Okay, like Mr. Tumnus, right? Um, uh, so so he's got this uh, this half goat, half man thing that people would come and they would worship in Caesarea Philippi. And this is where Jesus and his disciples are headed, to this place where it's kind of known for pagan worship. And on the way, we're going to come to a turning point in the Gospel of Mark. Interesting that this would be the place that we'd kind of come to the turning point. I'm thankful, though, that Jesus wasn't wasting time. Look, it says in verse 27, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way, he asked his disciples, okay? He didn't just like, hey, road trips are along, and these disciples are kind of annoying sometimes. I'm going to just turn on a DVD and we'll watch a princess movie, right? That wasn't his approach. His approach was, I'm going to take use of this time that I have with these disciples. I'm going to ask them a couple of very important questions, okay? So he's got a couple of important questions. The first one's not going to be quite as personal as the second one. He's going to kind of ease into that second one. But the first question is also a very important question where Jesus says to his disciples this, Who do people say that I am? Jesus knows that people are talking and that his disciples are hearing things, so he asks them, Hey, hey guys, who are people saying that I am? What are people saying about my identity? It's a good question to ask Jesus to his disciples, and it's a good question for us to ask too. We know that we as Christians are supposed to be those that share the gospel with other people. And sometimes we kind of got like our cookie cutter way of, this is how I share the gospel. But you know what's really helpful when you're sharing the gospel with other people? Knowing what they already know. Hearing what they already believe. Starting with a question rather than starting with a sermon. Right? So, so, so coming up to somebody and just asking them a question like this. Who do you think Jesus is? Right? That, that's a method that I've used before. Uh, a method that seems to be somewhat effective. It helps me understand where these people are coming from. Who do you say that Jesus is? That's a good starting point for you to know how you can go about best sharing the gospel with somebody. It's important for us to know what our neighbors... If, if you went to... Let's say you went and did a poll at your workplace tomorrow. Just went around taking a little video recorder or something. You got your phone. You're like, hey, I'm doing a little video thing and I just want to know... Who do you say Jesus is? Went around, did that at your workplace. Went around at your school. You probably can't have your phone out at school, so um, it just has to be verbally, right? But you went around at school and asked people, who do, who do you say Jesus is? Who's Jesus to you? What kind of answers do you think you'd get? Probably be all over the map, right? And that's what we're going to find here, too. By the way, um, the reason I, I, I talk about sharing the gospel here is because I think we need to be sure that as we're, as we're trying to start conversations with other people, that we need to be specific and we need to talk about Jesus. A lot of people, like, it, we, we like to kind of keep things easy and comfortable and kind of sanitary by, by talking about general things like God and faith and maybe church or something like that, but never getting specific and talking about Jesus at some point. I'm not saying you can't ever just talk about God or faith generally, but at some point you need to talk about Jesus, right? 
That's where it starts to get maybe a little bit offensive and a little bit testy, but we need to go there. You can't share the gospel by just talking. A lot of people are comfortable talking about God generally or about faith. Most people would say they believe in God, right? But we know from the book of James that a lot of people believe in God. And James even says it this way. He says, you believe that God is one good for you. Even the demons believe that. There's a lot of people that could even have nice conversation about God, generally, or even about your church or whatever. Have nice conversation. You say, do you believe in God? That's an okay question to ask, but most people are going to say yes. Right? Yeah, I believe in God, but there's a lot of people that believe in God that will be suffering eternal punishment in hell from God himself because they haven't repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus. The gospel is not whether somebody believes that there's a God or not. The gospel, the, the good news, you're saved by faith in Jesus because of the work that he's done. And so at some point when you're sharing the gospel, you've got to get specific and talk about Jesus. And this question that Jesus asks here, who do people say that I am? That's a good way to start. Who do you say Jesus is? And then the people's answer in verse 28 It's clear they only have partial sight, right? It says, And they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. Okay, so they get this. They get that Jesus is somebody special. But they're not quite sure who he is. So they're like, well, maybe he's Elijah, come back, you know, like from heaven. Maybe he's John the Baptist. Maybe he's just one of the prophets. So, and I think this is the kind of answer we'd get from a lot of people in our culture, right? They know that Jesus is somebody special. And so is that good enough? Is partial sight good enough? Will he just leave them there? Or is there going to be more? Are these disciples finally getting to the place where they see more clearly who Jesus is? And so we go ahead to verse 29. Verse 29. I just, before I get there, I just, we need to understand just the gravity of this. No one yet in the Gospel of Mark, no person has gotten this. Mark told us right away, um, God himself, of course, understands who Jesus is, right? And so, so God himself, during Jesus' baptism, knows who Jesus is. We've even heard demons. They're probably the, the ones that have gotten the closest to who Jesus actually is. But we haven't heard people yet. We haven't yet heard people make a declaration of, this is who Jesus is, in an accurate kind of way. So, are they going to get it? Look at verse 29. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Great question. Thank you. Who do you say that I am? That's the question that Jesus asks. Who do you say that I am? Jesus is getting really personal now. He doesn't, he's not interested any longer in just what everybody else is saying about Jesus. He's getting very personal with his disciples and saying, Who do you say that I am? It's a great question, and we need to hear that question. 
don't we? We need, to, we need to hear that question. It's not so important what everybody else... He's not saying, what do you know about me? Because they know some facts about Jesus. They just answered a few questions right. They've been to Sunday school, right? Oh, it was uh, seven, Jesus. We had seven baskets left over, right? They know some answers, but Jesus doesn't really care all that much if they know the right answers. What Jesus is really concerned about is whether or not they know who He is. His identity is way more important than knowing a few facts about what he's done. So, transition. We good? All right, excellent. Um, And so, the disciples are going to answer, who do you say that I am? Great question for us. Especially if you've been in church a long time, you know a lot of answers. You know a lot of answers about what Jesus has done. But what if you're asked the question, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say that I am? Jesus looking you right in the face and saying, what do you believe about me? That's maybe the most important question you could ever be asked. And How are the disciples going to answer? Let's look at the rest of verse 29. Peter answered him, you are the Christ. So Peter speaks up, I think, probably just making this declaration on behalf of the rest of them. He's just always the guy who talks first. And he says, you are the Christ. Now, maybe we read that, and like that's become such a common term for us that maybe we, like it doesn't mean all that much. We use the name Christ almost like as a last name, like his first name is Jesus, last name Christ. That's not what it is. It's not a substitute name. Sometimes we use it like if we feel like we've said Jesus too much, then we start just saying Christ instead. But Christ is not a name. Christ is a title. And it's a title um, that is translated from the Hebrew Messiah, meaning anointed one. So Peter's saying here, Jesus, you're the anointed one. Now in the Old Testament, the understanding would have been that the people that got anointed were three different kinds of people. Prophets, priests, and kings. Okay? Jesus came to be the anointed one. Jesus came to be the prophet, the priest, and the king. Right? The one who is the fulfillment of all other prophets, priests, and kings before him. And so Jesus comes as the prophet, the priest, and the king. And God's people had been waiting for the Messiah. They had been waiting for this Messiah, this king to come in the line of David who was going to rescue them. They had been waiting for this, hoping for this, looking for this. All sorts of false alarms. People, they thought, well, I think this is the one, and then that one didn't really pan out. And then this is the one, and that one didn't really pan out. And now, after spending maybe about a year with him at this point, the disciples' eyes are finally more fully opened, and they make the declaration, Jesus, you are that one. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. So, seems like they finally get it. Now, does that mean that they understand everything? As you're going to quickly find out, no. I mean, full sight is kind of relative. They, they've been given full sight. At least they fully understand now who Jesus is. But they don't understand yet what that actually means. They're actually quite confused about that yet. You're going to see that next week as we move forward in, uh, in Mark chapter 8. They don't see all the facts yet, but they do see the thing that's the most important for them to know. There's some things that we just need to know about Jesus, right? It's okay if you can't do really well at Bible trivia, and maybe you just, there's certain things that you don't know. That's fine. 
You don't remember some trivial kinds of things, but do you understand the core of who Jesus is? Jesus really is the Son of God. He really is the Messiah. He really is our only hope. He really is the only way to be saved. He really is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All those things. We need to understand those things for sure. Now, just because I don't want to skip a verse, this passage does end with Jesus strictly charging them to tell no one about him. And again, we've seen this so many times in Mark, but if you haven't been with us the whole time, you're kind of wondering, why does Jesus do that? I thought we're supposed to tell other people about him. They finally get it. They got it right. Now can't they tell people? And the answer is no, because their understanding is not yet complete, like I said. Until they fully understand what it means for Jesus to be the Christ, it's not good for everybody else to know that. So he tells them, be quiet for a while yet. How does this apply to us? I think just three very quick things. One, do you believe the gospel? Do you believe? What do you believe about Jesus? If I, if I just asked you that question very personally, came up to you and said, who do you say that Jesus is? What's your answer to that? Who do you say that Jesus is? Would you say that He's the only one that can rescue me from my slavery to sin? I've got no other hope. I realize that without Him, I'm just going to keep loving sin, and in the end, I'm going to die and suffer eternal punishment. And Jesus is my only hope. He's my only way out. I'm not going to be able to earn my way out. I'm not going to be able to be good enough. It's all about what He's done for me. That's who Jesus is to me. Would you say to me, Jesus is the only King whose rule I trust? There's a lot of other fake gods out there, a lot of other things that want my attention, but Jesus is the one that I want. He's the only one that I'll trust. He's my King, my Lord, my Master. Would you say that about Jesus? If not, if you're just still wondering like the disciples were, have some understanding of who Jesus is, but you're not quite sure, then come and talk to me about that. I love to talk about Jesus. Second application point, I think, would be this. We need to share the gospel. This gag order kind of that Jesus puts on them at this point, it's lifted, right? We, we, we don't have to be quiet anymore. We know the rest of the story. They had to be quiet just for this short period of time until the fullness of time had come when, when Jesus would be sacrificed, would be put to death on the cross and then be raised again from the dead. And from that point on, after sending the Holy Spirit, He says, now go at it. Tell lots of people the good news about me. People need to know who Jesus is. If you know who Jesus is, then we need to share with other people who Jesus is. That's certainly an application of this. Then the final one is that I think we need to long for our full sight. If you're a Christian, God has given you enough sight to understand and to believe that Jesus is God. And you've turned from your sin and you've trusted in Jesus and you're saved. That's guaranteed because of your faith in Christ and because of the work that He's done. He's going to hold on to you, right? But do you, do you understand everything yet? Raise your hand if you do, right? You don't. Well, we're not there yet. We can't say that I have full sight. We have a whole lot of questions still in our mind, don't we? So even as we see Jesus restore sight to these people, that should cause us to still long for, for greater sight, for greater understanding of who Jesus is. I want to end with a verse from 1 Corinthians. Go ahead and turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. Just one verse. Such good news packed in here, though. 
says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. That's good news, isn't it? Don't we long for that? Praise God that we're fully known. He knows everything about you. All the dirt that you try and hide from everybody else. All the stuff that you try to even forget yourself. He knows all that. You are fully known by Him. That's not going to change. He's fully known you from before you were even born. You are fully known by Him. But do you fully know Him? Do you understand Him? No, we don't. Not at all. But we long for the day when we won't see any more as in a mirror dimly, but we'll see Him face to face. Then, right now, I know in part, but then we shall know in full. We long for that. But just like the sight that we get in order to see Jesus for the first time so that we turn to Him and are saved, that comes from Him. That's a gift from Him. And this also is a gift from Him. You can't go to the vision clinic and and get this. This is only a gift that God can give. We're so grateful. That God is the God who takes wretches like us, right? And saves us. Who takes lost people like us and finds us. Who takes blind people like us. I was blind, but now I see, right? That's good news. We're going to sing that at the end here this morning. Amazing grace. That's what we see all over here. The fact that, that the disciples now understand enough of who Jesus is to say, you're the Christ, that's good news and it's all grace. God's been revealing this to them. That's what it says in Matthew's account of this.